The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Nick, I think, loves Foggy Nelson, and he acts like, oh, there's too much Foggy Nelson. No, I don't care for Foggy Nelson, but every time he opens his mouth, I like him less. No, I think I think there's something to... I think and I love Foggy Nelson in the comics. I love him so much. Yeah. I think that actor makes me bonkers. He's very whiny. He's very whiny. Me or Foggy? Welcome to Super Skull Vault of Midnight's weekly new Comic Day Audio Digest. My name is Nick Wybar. The nickname that I've been assigned this week is... Yummy Yam. Nick Yummy Yam Y Bar. And I work at Vault of Midnight. I'm joined by Succotash Swimmer. Hello, how are you? I picked the nicknames this week, so I'm very excited to hear them on the air. And don't forget about Curtis Sweet Tea Sullivan. <laughs> yes, that's me. When you call my name, say Sweet Tea. <laughs> Every time? Yeah. Okay. And if you could say it like Sweetie, that'd be oh, nice too. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Like you bet. S- Sweet tea. Like, hey, sweetie. That's easily done. Come here, sweetie. What's the impetus for these nicknames? Oh, so I've been re-watching uh, A Mind of a Chef mm. on uh, Netflix. You got food on the brain. I got food on the brain. Sean Brock, uh, chef and proprietor of Husk, uh, was teaching me about succotash while I was doing the doing the podcast notes. So you're, uh, you're on the paleo diet. I, I'm living a paleo lifestyle, yes. It's yeah. not a diet. It's a ch- choice of food style. Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, lifestyle. You're, you're on, a, you're on a, the, the paleo lifestyle. Yeah. So you're hungry. Um, I think is really what's <laughs> going on here. Yes and no. Uh, yeah, my body is getting used to not consuming grain. It, it's you know mm. today is much better than yesterday for sure. I see. Thank you. You're welcome. Wonderful. Uh, I wanted just to give you guys a quick update on my Kickstarter for Chris Wears Waldo. Oh, we yeah, were going to ask we you were about ask that. Ask you about it. Yeah, it's uh, it it was shut down. What? Yeah, yeah. I did get a uh, season desist. A, not only did I get a season desist order, but. Uh, Chris Ware came to my house and kicked open my door. Personally. Like he broke the deadbolt on my door. I can mm. imagine that. Yeah, I wasn't home. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he made very clear that he was not okay w- with it. Was Greg Land in your house just tracing all the art on your walls? No, Greg was Land Greg Land never returned any no. of my calls. Well. Mm. Um, yeah, I used a knockoff Kickstarter yeah. called, called Kickburner. <laughs> And uh, they took a lot of my money. I lost a lot of money. Yeah. On that. So all the money that you guys invested is gone. Okay. All of the time that I've put, I didn't put any of my own money into it, obviously, of but course. all of my time is gone. But I just feel like, you know, yeah. I just wanted to keep you guys apprised. Thanks. Well, ke- uh, keep fighting the good fight. Well, yeah. it's, a, it's a cautionary tale, you yeah. know? I learned a lot. So. I learned a lot about the process. I'm the artistic th- process. All right, cool. I'm pretty convinced that Greg Land is just like a Xerox machine that Marvel owns. He's a human Xerox machine. Yeah, they just sc- well, they just scan stuff and it goes into the database and then they're like Daredevil. Yeah, and then it just pumps it out. So, wow. No wonder he's not returning your phone calls. He's a machine. Take that, Gregory. Uh, you guys want to talk about some news? Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, what is happening in the news as I look at it for the first time ever? <laughs> well, we got a few tidbits. Yeah, I, I put a note in here about the Deadpool movie still being in movie theaters, which I, is kind of crazy if I you think f- about I it. I feel like it's been a month. It has been a month. Mm-hmm. And I felt like you know movies aren't they only in movie theaters now for like four days? I don't know. It's a shorter period of time. It seems like. Mm-hmm. Anywho, uh, Deadpool has made four hundred or excuse me, seven hundred and forty-five million dollars at the box office, y'all. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. It's the biggest R-rated movie 
ever. How can that cool. be? Worldwide. It beat like notable movies like The Matrix Reloaded. Oh, interesting. Is that movie weird. It is. Oh, I didn't know that either. I know. I didn't know that either. When I was reading about it, I was like, wait, that movie's rated R? Why? For Because it's stupid? The Matrix was the first R movie that I saw in theaters. Oh. The Matrix was rated R? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's crazy. I think they like make mention to like, you know, psychedelics or something. It's rated R because like they're just gonna they're gonna blow your mind so hard. Yeah. They're like, Are you ready for this tiny person? Yeah. Are you, you ready can't, to contemplate? You have to be at least seventeen to like get your whole get, yeah. get your mind blown. First R rated movie I snuck into, The Matrix. You <laughs> snuck into it. Mm-hmm. My cousin Devin in West Lafayette, Indiana. Did you pay for a different movie we and did. then sneak into that movie? We did. I love that technique. It's really easy to make fun of the Matrix. But when you think about how fucking crazy that movie was when it came out. The you Matrix know? Part One yeah. when it came out was awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It was and even now you go back and look at it and it's like it's kind of silly. Yeah. But god damn, For a movie, when that movie came out, it was it was the '90s when that movie came out. That's I s- crazy. I still love The Matrix Number One. Yeah, uh, me too. I'll Just like it. I love The Crow. Yeah. Number One. That red blue red pill blue pill shit. Yeah. That cliche now that everybody makes fun of. Yeah. I wanted to make Dude, that choice. Yeah. Everybody wears sunglasses inside in the dark in that movie. I yeah. mean, there's trench coats everywhere. Fucking everywhere. There was a little bit of a trench coat phenomenon that happened after that movie though. Everyone everyone wanted a trench coat. That's another reason to hate that movie. <laughs> Moving in, on. It's in great other movie. news, uh DC Rebirth, there's even more every, it's just our DC Rebirth update every week. Yeah. It's a big deal. We got to do it. I think it deserves it. Yeah. There's some new updates at WonderCon uh, such as Greg Rucka is going to be returning to Wonder Woman. That's yeah. good news. That's great news. That's such crazy a, hype about that. And his Wonder Woman run is going to take place kind of as a dual story. Mm-hmm. It's going to be modern but it's also going to dive into the past of Wonder Woman and her involvement in human conflict throughout time. Love it. Which is very exciting. Yeah. Into that. Tom King is taking over Batman? Yep. It's official. Oh, I love that. Uh, yep. uh, wait, look at the artist. Well, it's David Finch. That's okay. Boo. It'll be Tom King, though. It'll be good. No, no you're saying just you're just going straight boo on David Finch. Have you read the current Wonder Woman run that he's been illustrating? Oh, now I can see David Finch's art in my mind. Yes. Yeah, but flip side of that is, even though he's all muscular, I really liked Forever Evil that he drew. Even I, though everybody's all muscular. I know, but... He's got a style. He's... It's not. It's not what we need. Scott Snyder, the the current writer of Batman, is going to be going to All Star Batman. Correct. And there, we're going to have a, a rotating cast of artists. Look at these artists, yeah. though. Paul Pope. So a Paul Pope drawn Batman comic written by Scott <laughs> Snyder. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I, I feel that uh-huh. deep in my tummy. Yep. Jock will be drawing an yes. issue. Francisco Francavia. It's not an issue, my friend. A These run? are all-star Batman is going to be little mini runs focusing on bad guys that we all know and love. I love so it. So each artist will get to hone in on one bad guy for like five or six issues, and then they'll start a new run featuring a new bad guy. And it is all going to tie into the continuity of the Tom King Batman series. I'm into it. I'm very into it. Lots of DC Rebirth news. We're going to have to just do a whole thing when we start to get... As more info comes in, we'll just dedicate some time talking about the, the big waves yeah. so of much. DC Rebirth. Yeah, yeah. I, I cannot wait to find more information about the Gene Yang uh, Superman book. He's going to do a different Superman book called New Superman, yeah. and it's going to feature either a Chinese Superman or Chinese-American Superman. 
Um, and this is a new character who gets Superman-like powers. It's gonna be like so many Supermans running around. I've always felt Interesting. that the Gene Yang on Superman was a little straddled or didn't have the direction that he wanted. His book fell a little flat for me. So to see him be able to create his own character within the DC universe, akin to Superman, is very exciting. I agree with you there. It felt like Gene maybe was constrained a little. Yeah. Maybe by editorial something. Maybe not. Who knows? But it felt a little subdued for. How good Gene is on everything else didn't feel like a like a like a Gener. Yeah, it didn't right. have his his stamp on it. I guess. Yeah, I, and I would a little by the numbers. I would bet that this new Superman series is going to be all ages, which I think is very exciting. Sweet. What is up with the new comic shop we're opening in Detroit, Michigan? Dudes, all kinds of stuff happened. They poured uh, this molten iron into this mold. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. In a foundry, they sent us a picture a, a picture uh-huh. of the mold that they made. And it's the the inverse of, of of a manhole cover with our logo mm-hmm. and the words "Vault of Midnight" laid uh-huh. into it. Did yeah. You see this, Marcus? I did. It was. It made me emotional. It's incredible. They're forging manhole covers for the new store. They're they're forged now. They're forged now. This dude sent us an email, and he's like, "They're pouring the molten iron right now." As I'm typing you this email, so in the world right now, it exists. Uh, designer Philip Wong, who who actually helped us come up with the design for those manhole covers. Yes. Who when I say helped us, I mean he did it. He did all of it himself. Yep. And we said okay. Uh, he was like, make sure that they make, you should get an extra one and put it out on the street, in front of the shop. Yeah. Oh, that's really smart. And we just do it in the night. <laughs> Think about it. Someone will steal your manhole cover. That's yeah, true. Right. Yeah. It's a pretty yeah, good manhole steal cover. Our yep. shelves and our fixtures are being just they're, they're powering them out. We're getting pictures out of the uh, out of the workshop of just like what seems like. Thousands and thousands of shelves being constructed by an army of men. Exactly. Like, I don't think we need all of those, you guys. No, it seems like when you look at the pictures of it, you're like, do we, are we building a 75,000 square foot comic store? Yeah. It's a lot. There is uh, the first orders of of comic books and stuff has actually been ordered. We've ordered ordered it. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the way for Detroit. That's crazy. We also just uh, laid out our vault apparel spring collection. I yes. love that we're going to have seasonal collections for Vault Apparel now. I don't know that we'll have every season, oh, I feel but like we definitely like have a Vault Apparel spring collection. I feel like we're dedicated uh. with the spring collection to having new apparel every season now. Our, our partner, Steve uh, Fadale, will murder us if he we will. do this quarterly. But it's going to be a sexy batch of apparel and shirts and hats and stuff. It's so much cool stuff. Stickers, so much fun stuff. Yeah, lots of updates as events warrant. That's what's yeah. up with... Uh, Vault of Midnight Detroit. So much stuff. And I put a bunch of pictures of stuff on our Facebook page, Vault of Midnight Detroit. Yeah, if you want to see pictures of construction yes. and uh, unconstructed shelving fixtures, uh-huh. then v- just dig in. There's some f- some lovely photos of the craftspeople yeah. in, in, their, uh, in the Cantillon Finishers headquarters. These guys are the best. It's really nice. Yeah. Man, dudes with real jobs. Yeah. They're an inspiration to they, all of they us. They really are. Like, oh, man, you work. Uh, you guys want to do some big picks? Let's do it. Every week, uh, we read a whole ton of comic books. This was a very light week. It was. But there was some heat. There, there was, was some heat. It was a... Um, Maybe this is the lightest week I've seen in a while, though. It was very just light. in sheer number of boxes arriving at the comic Correct. shop. It was very, very light. Well, it's a rare fifth Wednesday oh, in a month, you guys. Yeah. That's what it that's is. That's what it is. And I didn't know this. And then I was digging around and looking around, like, wait a second, is this the fifth new comic book day this month? You forget how much 
the releases of comics are based on like a, a, a quarterly and financial schedule and how like that really does matter. Like yeah. that the, we these sales numbers that come up every single month, like that stuff's going to get brought up in a boardroom. So yeah, fifth Wednesday of the month. I did not think about that. Yeah, it seems like it would have been a good month to l- release for some of the smaller companies like Boom and Dynamite to like try to launch a hit. You know, because your competition on a week like this is very slim. But yeah, but like the it's just it seems weird because everybody else's numbers are going to be artificially inflated because there's just that extra month or week week on the month. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. And for us, it it has to be a Wednesday. Yeah, you know what I mean to get that fifth Wednesday for our numbers, if you will. For sure, that's that's awesome. Interesting, but Did if it was like say a fifth, fifth Monday, who gives a shit? Yeah, for us, is that interesting to anyone else? Probably not. Mm. Let's talk about comics. Let's cool. do it, Curtis. What was the best thing you read this week? It was a book called Golem, and it is from a publisher called Magnetic Press, mm-hmm. who we've talked about a little bit on this podcast. Uh, it is written, designed, illustrated, and colored all by a gentleman who goes by the acronym. Learns. L-R-N-Z? Yes. Uh, his name is really uh, Lorenzo Sicotti. Oh, he's you're, you're just going to out him. You're just going to just say his real name. Yeah, I am. Yep. revealing his secret Boing. identity. Take that, Learns. Yeah, Learns. Uh, dude's a, a badass. Uh, I got to say, uh, this book is beautiful, and he did it all. I mean, this book is written, designed, and drawn, and colored by one person. That's a lot of stuff. Uh, and when I say designed... Um, there's a lot of care that goes into, I think, the panel work, the color palette. Um, there'll be these great kind of chapter breaks that are this really fine art that kind of separates the little uh, different chapters the, of the story. The look is very different in those breaks, yeah. too, than the rest Correct. of it, which is neat. To kind of establish, hey, we're going into a new chapter, but he doesn't do it with like a chapter page. He does it with some really great kind of segue art that sets the tone for the next chunk. The, the book is truly stunning. I... I um, was excited to see it when we we unloaded it for the day, and uh, man, the art in this book was just really moving to me. And those chapter breaks, those double page chapter breaks, were just like, you. I want each one of them as a print because they're they're different in tone than the rest of the book, and they just set a mood for when you're going to dive into that next chapter. Agreed. It almost gives you a chance to breathe and because the there's so much action in each chapter. Absolutely, and the lead character is plagued by these dreams, and so they're these great kind of dream state. Mm-hmm. as well that you know they're beautiful but they also further the story and, and set a tone I think um, so as a kind of cohesive whole I think this book really works in a lot of ways um, and the design on all the fake future stuff I thought was stellar there's all these fake corporations complete with like logos and kind of stylistic flourishes on their vehicles and everything uh, that really works for me yeah I, I found it really interesting because like, in some parts of the, the book the architecture the company logos the faces they're very very detailed but the artist isn't spending too much time. Like there are some guns that you'll see, and they're just like a tube with a barrel. Yeah. A- and it's it's it forces your attention on the detailed subjects, which I think is intentional. I I really love this book. Or I, he was just doing it all himself, and he got bored. That's one really pessimistic way to look at just it. Ran out yeah. Of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's one way. Or he's like trying to draw your attention to things. No, it's probably intentional. Yeah. It, the art's fantastic um, throughout this whole thing. I, I like the book. I like the idea. It's set in Italy in a post EU collapse, um, which I find to be a very interesting. What's setting. the new currency? They, the pseudo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They um, have their own currency, their own kind of cloistered economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, that. So that's they do. They talk about that just enough where it's like interesting and sets the stage, but it doesn't like bog you down with, you know, too much info. And mm-hmm. and yet it's very believable. There's a scene in this book where the main character is going to the bank with his mother, 
and she goes to withdraw some money from the ATM, and it's like, boom, boom, boom. Hey, you could gamble $10, essentially, and if you get it, we'll give you double the money that you're going to... Your withdraw. Your withdraw, yeah. and she does it, and it's like, it seems ridiculous, but at the same time, it doesn't seem ridiculous I'm at so all. I'm so glad that that's not real. Right? Yeah, I exactly. Would, I would do that every No, that time. would... See, what I, see what's happening? That yeah. would get you. Yeah. It, would, it was yeah. tailor-built to get me. That's exactly. what I'm saying. And And... You know, it's just it's a commentary on regulations and corporate influence in government. Um, but because it's set in the EU, which is a like a political system that I find fascinating to begin with, it it just really works. And I thought the setting was believable and the development in society was believable. And it was just a very enjoyable read. Yeah. So essentially, this is like a political science fiction kind of piece. There is definitely some politics. Government is is definitely uh the future government is throughout this piece of fiction, not in a heavy-handed way, but just to let you know that there's a different way of doing things. Um, everything is a touch screen in this mm-hmm. sci-fi world, which I thought was cool. This kid's brushing his teeth at one point, and he's like, you have one usage of toothpaste left. Do you want to buy more now? Click here. Yeah. And like the bathroom mirror. I thought that was excellent. They're eating breakfast. Same sort of thing happens up. You have two portions of breakfast chow left. Do you want to order more now? Essentially, in this world, every aspect of your life has some form of advertisement built into it. Some corporation is trying to tick in and get you to buy the next thing. Mm -hmm. And all it takes to do whatever you want or to buy whatever you want is to touch the nearest thing that that is advertising to you. And it instantly does it. And that's terrifying and yet very sad. If I could just be like, toothpaste, dope, touch my mirror, and then it arrives at my doorstep. That might happen. I'd never leave the house. But you know, Nick would just be at the ATM all d- day. All day, just ten dollar, ten dollar, ten dollar. <laughs> no, pay for itself at some point. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, but I just, I, I want to know more about this world. I hope we get to see more about this world. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, you know, all that said, so he, he builds this great world. He fleshes it all out, and as, and the story is about a kid who has nightmares. His father is a scientist who invents this crazy matter-altering device that that makes it unnecessary for. So many things. It changed the whole face of the world. You can rearrange particles and atoms and create anything you want with this new machine. This guy goes missing. This device is buried because obviously it doesn't fit into kind of the consumer culture, these four super corporations that rule the world, their plan of things. Um, and it's, it goes from there. It's these young hackers. This boy links up with it. He's looking for his dad. It's cool. I liked it a whole lot. Uh, and real quickly, Magnetic Press, uh, we talk about them here and there on the podcast we just read everything they put out they're yeah. consistently the best what read, else what what else would we recognize from magnetic Press? uh backward glance was uh, a book we just yes. uh reviewed for them yeah. a couple five podcasts ago which we really liked doom boy is one of my favorite of theirs phenomenal book Great book uh just an all-around killer publisher the only reason the reason i read this book is because it was magnetic press mm-hmm. i can't really think of another publisher that i read their stuff sight unseen just on the back of they're doing it. They're doing it. I'll check it out. They're tr- you know been bringing European books to the states is mm-hmm. kind of their main thing. Spanish comics, French comics, and they Italian don't of, comics. They don't have a ton of titles either, so it is it's it's kind of a big deal when one comes over. Absolutely. Um, so we're gonna link to their website in the show notes. You guys should absolutely check out magneticpress.com. It's a glorious website, and uh, we carry all their books at the store. And you know, and ask your local comic shop about Magnetic Press. They're doing some cool stuff they got a book called claw that comes out next month another really great looking hardcover cannot wait for that about a kid who can change into this totally dope tiger bengal tiger nice it looks pretty nice looks website. awesome Ooh. so um 
I Ooh. love Bengal tigers. Yeah, give him a look. Yeah. In my dream, Nick gets a giant Bengal tiger tattoo on his back. Just across the whole thing? Just across the whole thing. What Huge back piece. Yeah. What would you name it? Your Bengal tiger? Tattoo that's on my back. Uh, I would name it Francois the Bengal tiger. Nailed it. Francois? Excellent. Golem. Golem. From Magnetic Press. Magnetic Press. It's a luscious graphic novel. Out today. Out now. Is that 20 March bucks? 30th. 20 bucks. Good deal. Not bad. It's a big old fatty. Mm-hmm. And it's gorgeous, and I'm gonna uh, learns. I'm gonna be. I'll be looking for you, my dude. Great learns. Great bookshelf spine. Look at that spine. Yeah, it's very important. Magnetic press nails it. Every Did time. you peep the dust jacket too? Yeah, great dust. So jacket. nice. This is like a three quarters dust jacket. Mm-hmm. I love a three quarters dust jacket. It's sexy, and it's a deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't an accident that we did three quarters. It's a it's a matte binding with a gloss. Yeah. Three quarter dust jacket. Yeah. Yeah. That is sexy. Yeah. Yeah, it's man. A good bookshelf appeal. So there's that. What else are you? Uh, what else did you read? Anything else this week? This is the only thing I read because it was a big It'll old fat graphic novel. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, but I am psyched to read uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It has a deviation one shot this week. <laughs> I it's, love deviations. It's good. Yeah, remember that uh, Cobra one we read last week? Yeah, it's, it was great. It's real good. This one you read this TMNT, Marcus? Yeah. I'm shaking my head at you like, yeah, but we're on the radio. so <laughs> Yeah, you can um, just tell me. It's yeah. okay. Yes, I did read it. This Deviations line is so much fun. It's essentially the equivalent of the Marvel What If. Exactly. Um, What's the What If here? The What If is what happens if the TMNT end up fighting for the Shredder? They oh, join with they Shredder. Join with oh, Shredder. see, I don't care for wow. that. Why? I don't care for that. <laughs> you don't like the alternate <laughs> idea? It's It was very... How dare you suggest such a thing? So the Not even for funsies. <laughs> the uh, G.I. Joe one was uh, pretty funny. Yeah. This one has some humor, but also is a kind of a more serious what if. Is I this d- like Back to the Future 2 when Biff takes over? Uh, uh yes, it's very similar. To it's that. a more <laughs> it's this is a more serious deviations where the teenage mutant ninja turtles team up with Shredder. Well, he's their mentor. He's the, there is no like the Splinter fact. It's it, not it, funny. It you're makes saying. you realize how much of an influence Splinter is in like nourishing the TMNT. And it's like dark. Molding them. It's it's <laughs> kind of dark. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What what's so humorous about that? Comics can be serious, Nick, even if they're about turtles. That's right. Very true. I also want to read USG number six, y'all. Which stands for uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Yeah, me too. I don't know if you guys know I dubbed that comic USG. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what we call it at the comic shop now. Um, The last story arc was uh, a bunch of time travel stuff with her roommate. And Doctor Doom. It was so dope. Uh, New story arc starts in this issue. Also, uh, Paper Girls Volume 1 is out. And speaking of sexy books, did you guys look at the cover? The presentation of Paper Girls Volume 1 is Mm. out of this world. Mm. I hear like... Violins. When I look at that book, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's just beautiful. You could do a slow pan over that. So um, that would have been my pick this week. Yeah, that's a very, very cool book. Yeah, Ten Bones. Also, another image, ten dollar volume one. Yeah, Paper Girls is a story about uh, four. Yes, right. It's four girls. It's set in the late '80s. They're all they all have paper routes. Yep. And something crazy is happening in their neighborhood. And it's not clear if it's aliens or time travelers. Yeah. But something is afoot. And you think like Monster Squad or the Goonies. The these they, they are on an adventure. And it's Brian K. Vaughn, the writer of Saga. Yes. Among many other things. And uh Cliff Chang does the art. And it, kills it. It's one of my best one one of my favorite books. He does the eighties right so damn good. 
He does. You remember how 80s movies like The Monster Squad? Like, they're way more R-rated than you remember them being? Yeah. And serious? Like, disturbingly R-rated. Yeah. yeah. Like, There's saying really hateful things sometimes. Yeah. You know, but or like parental relationships that are very mature and intense. and. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, very to- cool book. Top Gun was PG. Who'd have thought? Really? Oh, yeah. Huh. Who would have thunk it? That's the most serious movie I know of. But The Matrix was R? The Matrix was R. I don't know how movie ratings work. I, I don't, don't really you know. either. We're I don't think they in, know. We're going to get into a whole ratings thing later. So, Cool. Uh, that's what's up with Curtis and his big picks. Big picks is what I want to read. Hey, Succotash. What is up, Yummy Yam? Talk to me. So uh, this week, Captain America number seven came out. Uh, it is the celebration issue of 75 years of Captain America. Wow. Which is just great. And next week, we're going to do our taser segment on the history of Cap to celebrate his 75th birthday. We should. That'll yeah. be cool. It's going to be a blast. I'm really looking forward to it. So this book is three stories in one. Um, it's it's a little it's a little fatty this week. It's a little fatty. It's a little fatty. Uh, the first section is the continuation of the standoff story that's going on right now. Oh, featuring uh, Pleasant Hill. Pleasant Hill, correct. The town of Pleasant Hill. What is that? So uh, Pleasant Hill is a kind of fake society that Maria Hill, uh, director of Shield. I just got that. Yep. Pleasant Hill. Maria, Maria Hill. Hill. Thank yep. you. Continue. Puts together to. Uh, essentially brainwash the villains of the Marvel Universe and give them normal lives well, in so this uh, fake it's like society. A, it's like a supermax prison, <laughs> but it's like above ground. It's a fake small town. I mean, it's a prison as so far as, as they're keeping people there, but they're not even really... Essentially, you get brainwashed. You get uh, given a normal kind of uh, whitewashed life, and they put you in this town, and you just become like a normal member of you this... You become a mailman. Exactly, or a painter. Or, or a milk. Man carrier exactly. person. So a milk milk uh, person. Thank you. It, yeah. You know, this book to me, I've, I've been reading all the standoff stuff and I've been liking it okay. It's kind of a unique concept for Marvel. Um, it's a little bit more sci fi in the psychological ways than they normally do. But this issue really kind of sold me on the idea. Maria Hill has a moment where she talks about why she created this place that I found to be kind of touching. Um, and it's really good. It's uh, this the first section is written by Nick Spencer. You should know him from Superior Foes of Spider Man and Morning Glories. Um, and in we this is a a big moment for Old Man Steve Rogers. This this issue has the development that is going to lead into the new Captain America book mm-hmm. for him. Um, does it talk about his laser shield at all? It doesn't. Thank okay. goodness. I'm right. r- um, but you know, there's a scene. Um, Old Man Steve Rogers is getting. He's in a fight with Crossbones. And uh, you kind of, he's articulating his thought, pro- he, and he's losing badly. Um, and he's articulating his thoughts um, throughout the page. And there's a beautiful... In d- his mind, he's having a mind? He's having like a mind, talking about like what happens before you die. Because he's, he's convinced that this is the moment that it's going to happen. Oh, shit. May I interject? Yep. I, I, do you guys feel like Crossbones is popping up in a lot of different places in he, the Marvel Universe? Because he's uh, the featured bad guy in Captain America Civil War, the movie. Well, one of them. Yeah. yeah. Is that what's going yeah. on? Yeah. So they're reintroducing he's, him. So he's, people I feel familiar. like I've seen Crossbones in like four different Marvel titles. Yeah. They're bringing him up because he's in the movie. So uh-huh. He's so cool in the he's Ed Brubaker uh, run yeah. of Cap. The Crossbones oh, that's right. Shit is I totally awesome. forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. So it's Crossbones? He's that guy, Brock Rumlow. Yeah. Good he's name. Nice. Good baddie name. He's that dude. He's also in. Um, the last Cap movie. He is. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who fights Falcon at the end and gets blown up. Right, right, And they right. take him away on a stretcher and they like hold on him too long where you're like, wait a second. Oh, that dude's going to turn into a cyborg. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's going to come back as a cyborg murderer. Yeah. He is. 
Um, okay, so that's not my imagination. No, okay. yeah, they're doing it on purpose. But yeah, him and Cap are fighting. Cap, old man Cap, is just getting... St- and it talks about like what you actually see before you die. And it's kind of going through the history of Captain America and his relationship with Sam Wilson, which has been stressed, and his relationship with Bucky Barnes, which has its own com- complex history. Both of those dudes, in the meantime, are trying to find him, and they're working together. So you have really the big three who have ever wielded the shield of Captain America mm-hmm. all in the same vicinity at the same time. And there's a beautiful double-page splash that kind of sums up all the relationships that Steve is seeing right before he thinks he's about to die. Um, and it was really beautiful. Um, I, I, as a Captain America fan, it was very satisfying yeah. to kind of see those last moments through the eyes of Steve Rogers. Um, and he's had a very, it was a beautiful wrap up for 75 years of Cap history. I want that double page, page splash as a poster, so very badly. Um, Sounds wonderful. It was it was really great. And I was going to talk shit about this comic, but I can't now because it's, cause <laughs> it's, it's too much. It, well, it's too important for you. It is. It is. <laughs> It, it was nice. I guess the big thing that I took away from it is as Steve Rogers is kind of fading into the black, he's thinking about all the moments he's had with Bucky and Sam and that even though they've had their differences, the fact of the matter is all three of those guys made the choice to wield the shield and, wh- and what that means when you make that choice and how each one of them has been Captain America in their own way but still honored their tradition of like what Cap is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really beautiful. Um this this whole standoff thing is kind of weird and kind of goofy, but in the end, those like last seven pages of this com of this story arc in the book were um, some of the best cap stuff. Nick Spencer just nailed it. Love it. Um, we just read totally different comic books. Yeah, and I love that. Well, uh, yes, and then there's two other ones in the back. Uh, one is uh, Steve Rogers going to the ballet for the first time and watching. Um, Black Widow. Sorry, I'm, I'm all emotional now. Um, watching Black Widow do ballet and what? kind of his his view is like a poor kid from lower, you know, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, I don't want to see the ballet. And then the combination of the ballet to combat and the relationship between the two. Um, it was a very nice story. And the other one was kind of a classic Hydra um, story that was done very well. So this is what year is, does he go to the ballet? Is this when he's just... Scrawny Steve? No, no, no. He's Cap? Is, he's Cap at this point. Okay. Uh, not Old Man Cap, somewhere in between. Mid Cap. Mid Cap, if you Got will. Um, if you're a Captain America fan, you should read this book. The conversations that Sam Wilson and, and uh, Bucky Barnes have while they're searching for Steve Rogers are really nice. It's just a really nice dedication to 75 years of Captain America. The cover is wonderful. It's phenomenal. They use the original Captain America logo up top, mm-hmm. and then it's Alex Ross doing like a tribute to, like, you know, a 1940s Cap comic. Mm-hmm. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the fact that we have Sam Wilson, the current Captain America, punching Steve Rogers is an homage, I think, to that very famous Captain America cover with, with Captain America well, punching Hitler. So Captain America is Hitler well, on this cover. It, I knew it. it Gosh, dang it. I, it's just, I think it's a, it's drawing from that that first famous Cap issue to this 75 It is. I'm not year. calling yeah. Cap Yeah, Hitler. we don't actually no, I, no, think I that. Said, I just said Um Bucky Barnes still has the good taste to wear a domino mask. You love domino masks. I'm so into them. I want my own. Yeah. S- someday well, that I can you, just rock. You own a domino mask. I do, I but they're not good. They're like, you know, store-bought. Right. I want like a dope custom, custom domino, domino mask. mask. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so that's uh, Captain America uh, number seven. 
a real blast. Just real quick, I read uh, Hercules this year. Yeah. The book that everyone should be reading that is really phenomenal. And I would quickly encourage, if you want to dip into the Marvel Universe or know what's going on, Marvel came out with an all-new, all-different universe guide this week. Yes. It kind of breaks down all the series and text. I dare say, I think Marvel should do this twice a year. Just catch us all up on everything. So if you want to dive in, couldn't hurt. You you can just read this and, and rock and roll. It's it was very informative. Full page summary of all the characters. Yeah, yeah. really, really good. Yeah, cool so stuff. So was my pick. Nice, Nick. What about you? I had a pick. Yeah, talk to me, yummy yam. I will. So my pick this week was there wasn't a lot of. I really wanted to pick a number one, um, and there was not a lot of number one. It was just because it was a light week. It was yeah. the fifth Wednesday. It was the fifth Wednesday. You know already, what I mean? We've fucking litigated this fifth wednesday thing to death i'm not gonna talk about it anymore god i'm so sick of fifth wednesday uh but what i did read for the first time what ever, you're not sick of what i'm not sick of is this book called the heroic legend of arslan great title so this is uh we were talking so much about manga when charlie so i was in i was in a real manga mood all week nice after our after we uh, after our last manga-focused episode last week. That's the thing. It's infectious. It really is. So this is uh, Hiromu Arakawa, who wrote and did all the art for Full Metal Alchemist. Your oh. favorite manga. Which is one of my favorite pieces of anything yeah. ever. When I first asked to stuff. read manga, you implored me to yeah. read Full Metal Alchemist. Did you? I did. I read the first three three-in-ones. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a really amazing series. And uh, this is actually... A, an adaptation. This guy, Yoshiki Tanaka, wrote a n- series of novels called The Heroic Legend of Ar- Arslan that's like very, very popular okay. over in Japan. And it's just a fantasy book, kind of akin to Game of Thrones a little bit. Oh, They did a manga adaptation of it, and the manga caught up with the novels and passed the novels. And, they, and that manga made up its own unique ending to it. So now the novels are complete, and Hiromu Arakawa's adaptations are a little bit more closely. They go their own way. They, that, this one di- ties more directly to the novels themselves. Oh, I see. Um, that is, who cares? It's a very good book. It's the story of this prince who is um, very young, and he's going into his first battle, and the betrayal that happens at this huge battle that leaves this kid kind of bereft of his whole kingdom. Oh, hmm. boy. Uh, a lot of, there's a political intrigue. There's some court palace intrigue there's a lot of action it's i've loved it i thought it was really really good same what, same kind of brutality as a game of thrones in just it's game of thronesy in that there are these different countries there's different factions at play there's lots of double crossing yeah. there's lots of you know mo- maybe more in the politics stuff less in the the, the graphic violence and sex uh, kind of stuff. how many issues is it in total four volumes of the heroic legend of arslan nice. we are now learning it literally, I didn't know this existed until yesterday. Mm. Um, I just I saw the name. I was talking with somebody at the comic shop, and oh. the uh, the name came up. Like, oh, that's the same person as Full Metal Alchemist. I haven't read a ton of other stuff that she's done. Right. But I think if you're gonna talk about heavy hitters in the manga industry, in the manga industry probably forever, and in comics in general, yes, Hiromu Arakawa has to be a part of that conversation. I think you're right. She is just a master of characters and pacing. Her art is just so solid. I got to uh, tell you, I, I didn't know exactly what I was getting into when I read Full Metal. Yeah. And I've only read the first maybe 10 volumes of that series. It's much bigger than that. Yep. Um, but it is a complex, yep. character-driven thing that has so much going on. Yep. I, I just... So I guess it sounds a little bit like, too, following creators is uh, in manga, same as any com- anywhere you would go, yeah, film absolutely. or otherwise, right? And she doesn't have, like, a big... 
body of work in general. Uh, but I will definitely it it reignited my my uh, my interest in this lady and how well, good she is at making comics. I'm going to read it tonight. This is, this is right up your alley. Yeah, like, no, you actually would love this. You're talking about it, and I'm like, oh, maybe I will not eat on my dinner break and read that book. I do see a little sparkle in your eye. Well, anytime you relate anything to Game of Thrones and talk about court betrayal, I'm essentially down to party. I know, I'm a sucker for that shit, I know, man. I know. I can't help it. Nick's, um, Nick's the court guy. I'm, I'm the battlefield guy. Together, no. we're an unstoppable team. No, I think that makes sense. I, I'm a sucker for a story, too, about a young uh, ruler ascending to a throne yeah. and then being betrayed, mm-hmm. being beset at all sides by a bunch of harpies who want the power. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love that story. It's I also like, hate it. It's infuriating. It's almost like we grew up playing Dungeons & Dragons or something weird like that. That might have, that might have something to do with it. Yes, yeah, so the series is still ongoing. There nice. are four volumes that have been released so far. Um, and yeah, this is just a surprise. This came out a while ago. This is not new. I just wanted to talk about something uh, like a number one. Let me take a look here really quick. Oh, 2014, this first volume came out. So basically brand new. So it's basically brand new Yeah, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. It's um, new to you. It's new to me. There you go. Hiromu Arakawa also did this book called Silver Spoon, which is about... Um, I don't know what they call it over there, but it's kind of like 4-H farm school in Japan. Oh, did this get released finally? It, well, it's been in the the anime's been released. I read that there are English translations of them, but I've never seen them around the shop or been able to order them for the shop. Is this what they based the live action television show of the same name? No, so you think that. that. Ve- no, that's a different manga. I tried to hunt down this manga for a long time for book club because it was getting it was like the number one manga in Japan. Yeah. And it was just not translated uh-huh. into English and people were coming in and asking for it for the two weeks that I did the manga order. And, yeah. Uh, it's about a city boy who goes to farm school. Well, I know oh, there's a name for what kind of school it is. It's like is, uh, agriculture school? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like Green Acres. It's like, tra- it's like Green Acres, yeah. except uh-huh. not at all. Okay. The government asked her to write this book because they're trying to get people interested in going to agriculture school to become farmers. I love this story. Japan is having a problem getting kids interested in becoming farmers. Aha. So they asked her to write this book and she did and now it's very huge and they're having oh, I know it's having the that. exact effect they wanted. Kids are going and trying to be farmers. That is awesome. It's the coolest. It's the coolest. I love that story. Like I actually love that story. It's not like Pee Wee Herman that one time where he says, I love that story and he's being facetious. Uh huh. No, that's what? a fucking great story. Okay. <laughs> that's that's super. Thank you, Curtis. Now I have the Green Acres theme song stuck in my head. Let's move into our taser segment. So, uh, Batman v Superman was just released it was. last week, I think, last Friday, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, that's uh, true. So, our taser this week is about th- those two characters and how they've related to each other over time. Got it. Yep. It's not a history of those two characters individually, because that's, that's a whole other bag of enchiladas. That is like that's a couple of bags. Yeah. So this is uh, we're we're just going to talk about how they've kind of interacted. Sometimes they fight, and Mm -hmm. we'll talk about the movie a little bit. How does that sound? Sounds sounds wonderful. We have we we have differing opinions on this film, and we're going to try to keep it as spoiler free as we can, as as far as relation to the movie. Correct. So yeah, just to let you know, if you're thinking like I haven't seen it yet, we're going to try to keep it uh, as, as spoiler free as we can. Absolutely. So. Uh, how, these two characters—they've obviously, you know, been—I think 1939 and 1940, respectively. Sounds but correct. I'm, I'm pulling that out of uh, out of my butt a little That's bit. That's very close to the truth. So the characters first meet, quote unquote, on the cover of uh, 1940 New York World's Fair anthology comic. Um, they have—they're—they're they're both on the cover, but they don't actually 
they have two separate comics. It's correct? an anthology. It's an so. anthology book, so they're not. They, they're just. They only team up for the cover. They yep. team up for the cover. I think of Young Marcus at the New York World's Fair. Yeah, getting a Superman Batman comic in nineteen forty. Like, yeah, absolutely. In yeah. my mind, I see that like perfectly. Criminy. Moving on, <laughs> is what Marcus would say. <laughs> Uh, so the two characters actually were, they shared pages together in All-Star Comics number 7 and then in number 24. Uh, and this was the birth of the Justice Society was All-Star Comics. Oh, right. the JSA. Yeah. Um, they don't actually interact that much, but they are they, they are in a room together. That's essentially what it is. Is someone comes in, they're like, Justice Society, and they just happen to be there, but they're right. not like having a conversation with one another of any form of substance. No, they're yeah. both like really too cool at that point. Right. So it actually wouldn't be until 1952 that they, and, and this was in a Superman book, Superman number 76, that they actually interact with each other. So Bruce and Clark, that's Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent. The alter egos. Yeah. Uh, the they, secret identities. They decide. I love this. They decide that they need a vacation separately. Got to work hard to play hard. Yep. Yeah. And uh, they 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 did not just come to this conclusion together. And they book tickets on the same cruise ship. What are the chances? And it gets overbooked, and they end up sharing the same room, and they only with only one bed. Only one bed. And a di- and a diamond thief forces their secret identities to be revealed to each other, and they become good buddies. So I, Bruce I, Wayne couldn't spring for his own room. I can't stand no. how sweet that is. So the best part about this issue, I was doing some research into it last night, is like the two find out that they're secret identities, and because it's the 50s, so like, oh, well, you're Superman and I'm Batman, why don't we both just jokingly try to win over Lois Lane, and whoever wins, wins her, <laughs> because it's the 50s and women are objects to be won. God damn it. So the cover is Lois Lane on a cruise ship, and Superman's flying. He's like, this is a job for Superman. And Batman's swinging. And he's like, no, it's a job for Batman. And they both know who each other are. And they know that it's a joke. Yeah. And they're just trying to impress Lois Lane. That's yeah, phenomenal. There are some very funny uh, panels from this book of those two dudes in bed just talking. Talk, <laughs> talking it out. <laughs> so they, they're going to go on a lot of adventures over time together, teaming up. So many. From the 50s until uh, the mid-80s. And w- were you guys able to find them... Punching each other they're, in that time? No, they're very much friends they're and good allies. Okay. There's, there's a lot of punching, too, though. Not, not each From other. From 52 to 86? Oh, 52 to 86? No, not so much. No, 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 no so sorry. Much. So yeah. in, in there will be punching. There w- make no mistake. Yes. Yeah. No, from the from the 50s to the 80s, it's a lot of them teaming up to help one another. It's They know each other's secret identity, so they'll conference with one another. But this is also kind of the time of the campy comic. So it's, you know... If there is any conflict, it's like, there's a robot, Batman, no, and then Superman has to come in, but it's never actually Bruce Wayne, sure. I was, uh, because they're buds. I was looking at a cover where um, Superman becomes Super Caveman, Yeah, and he's like attacking a train, and uh, Batman gets Super Brain from the future, and he's got a giant head. Yeah. It's su- <laughs> so they're versus each other, kind of. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. It's n- it's never the two characters of their own fruition kind of going at it. So how did they... How did they come to punch? Well, that's a very <laughs> interesting question. So it all really stems after the event of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, that gives See, Super Skull issue. 80-something. <laughs> yeah. Um, DC gets a clean slate-ish after the events of, D- of Crisis. And uh, John Burns and other DC editorial uh, decide that they're going to give uh, the superhero relationship between the two a little bit of a twist. They're going to mix it up and, and do something fresh. Uh-huh. And they do that with Man of Steel number three, which comes out in 1986. Um, Batman is in hot pursuit of some baddies in this issue. And uh, Superman 
kind of stops him because he's not a fan of the Batman vigilante style of superhero. Which makes sense. Which and, makes sense. And this is one of the many ways that we will start to develop like these themes of conflicts between these two between characters. The, yeah, that's yep. right. Superman is a very kind of like upright doing what is right out in the open and in the daylight and Batman at night doing the vigilante exactly. thing. Yes, yeah, so um, answers to no one. Yeah. And Batman knows that he can't really go up against Superman, so he tells him that his suit has a special detector in it, and if Superman comes within a certain radius of him, uh, a bomb will go off in Gotham and kill a bunch of innocent people. Whoa! Shit! So uh, they end in kind of a stalemate. Batman goes his way, Superman goes his other, because Superman knows that he can't approach Batman or else innocents will die. We don't know if there is a bomb or not. Probably not. Wow. But, um, yeah, that's the thing. And uh, the interesting, at the end of that comic, Batman is kind of hypothesizing, like, can I ever be friends with this dude? I don't know. We're just so different. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good comic that I haven't read in 20 years, yeah. by the way. Yeah. John Byrne's Man of Steel is an excellent little six-part comic book. So then the next big rivalry uh, pops up in The Dark Knight Returns, and we're going to talk a ton about this book in a minute. It's it's really the inspiration for the Batman v Superman movie. You want to come back to it? We're going to come back to cool. it, yeah. Um, and the next big fight is in Hush. That's Batman uh, 612. Uh, Superman gets mind-controlled by Poison Ivy. Classic. And uh, if you haven't read Hush, it's one of my favorite Batman books. Um, and Batman has to fight him. Luckily, he keeps a kryptonite ring. On himself, of course he does, and he essentially punches the crap out of Superman. So here we here in yeah. we have another difference between the two. So Batman's a planner, right? Oh yes, and this is going to come up over and over again as they as they fight each other because Superman is is a god essentially. He can you literally know, he's yeah yeah he is a unstoppable whatever. He's an unstoppable force. Batman has to plot around right. Superman. Mm-hmm. You're doing things like this, like a, a ring made of kryptonite. Exactly. And that's and that's kind of the theme we're going to see. And I'm only touching on kind of some of the heavy hitters. These guys fight a lot in between these books. It's kind of a big theme of the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Two Titans go at it. And most of the time, almost all of the time, Batman wins. Would you because say that this is a, a metaphor of the larger things happening in the comic industry I would. in the late 80s, I absolutely Marcus. would. <laughs> um, but in Batman the Dark Knight, number five, Superman finally gets to win. Batman gets drugged by Scarecrow and gains super strength in like this intense bloodlust. Um, and Superman has no choice but to like actually engage in this dude. And another theme we see is that like Batman's really trying to beat Superman, and Superman is always a little reluctant to fight yeah. um, Batman. But in this one, he has no choice, and Batman hits him once, or Superman hits him once, punches him once. So hard it almost kills him, but it also knocks the poison out of him. And uh, <laughs> That I will, makes sense. I will yeah. knock the poison out of him. <laughs> right out you. But this is an interesting thing. It shows... That even for all of of Bruce's planning and whatnot, um, Superman is inherently just a a much more powerful being. He's always holding back a little bit. Yeah. Well, and that's a really good point. I mean, Superman uh, just wants to do just enough to like stop Bruce all the time. And Bruce wants to kill. Yeah. Super, you know, and and Bruce yeah. doesn't kill all the time. You know, he's not a killy kind of dude. Um, but he, you know, it's always, uh, there's a, he's going a a little, he's going all out. He's going all out. Yeah. Um, but that being said throughout this time, they do work together. Uh, Batman, Superman numbers, uh, one through six, uh, Lex Luthor puts a reward on both of them and they have to work together. And my favorite one, I'm only going to touch briefly. I urge everyone to hunt down Superman and Batman versus alien and predator. Mm -hmm. That book came out. Essentially Batman and Superman find that there are aliens and predators, under a volcano on Earth, and decide which well, is true. Yep, that they yep. must uh, yep. go hunt these dudes down. Dude, yep. that comic is my jam. I just bought one as a back issue. It's we got in the so show. fresh. Cool. 
So, um, can I talk really quick about my favorite uh, Superman Batman fight though? I would love that. Super fast. It happens in um, Scott Snyder's run mm-hmm. of of Batman. That's uh, called Endgame. Is the storyline? Yeah. Uh, the entire JLA gets Jokerized, and Batman has to take him down. And like you say, Batman's a planner, so he's got a contingency for everybody. Right. He's got a yellow uh, ring on deck. Yep. For Green Lantern. You know, when Green Lantern shows up, oh, yeah, I got that yellow ring on lock. Mm-hmm. He's got an element that takes out Wonder Woman. He's got a bat suit that not only has kryptonite gas and all kinds of other, like, white noise and all this other stuff, but it has little red sun radiation generators in the fists. Because you just never know. You, you never don't know. know. That's why you keep a spare tire. This is the thing. And, it, like, right here, this is a good reason why. Like, what if the Joker, like, Joker gassed the whole JLA? Yeah. Who's going to take him down? That's definitely going to happen. That's going to happen. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he defeats the whole JLA in this one. It's super badass. And it's really scary because Superman and all these guys have a creepy Joker smile the whole yeah, time. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. super creepy. It's pretty dope. So there are reasons why these... I'm really fascinated by why they fight. Mm. So there's a, there's a lot of times it's because there's like a manipulation going on. Yes. They're drugged or like in, you know, somebody is playing them off of each other or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes the in the big Superman-Batman fight, which is the Dark Knight Returns, Correct. this is purely a, it's a pretty, it's a philosophical difference. Absolutely. More or less. Yep. So, Curtis, talk to us about Dark Knight Returns. Well, uh, you know, it's a seminal book. It's It's huge. It's credited for kind of, changing the Dark Knight's public perception from an Adam West kind of campy 60s style yep. into like something that could be more mature and, um, I mean, you know, darker, I guess, is is one way to say it. It's in but the pantheon of comics. It's a must-read comic if you're into comics. Absolutely. It's fair to say, right? Of course. Um, it really reinvented the character for a new era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Batman in this book it represents kind of like this old guard Again, a vigilante who plays by his own rules. And Superman is absolutely a puppet of the government. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, even doing uh, things abroad to kind of like maintain American power mm-hmm. in other parts of the world. Which is something you don't really see in a lot of Superman books. But it's it's kind of, it makes sense if that's how you see Superman as the Boy Scout. Correct. It's kind of a natural extension of that character. Like, of course he would eventually work for the president. Exactly, because he wants to do right. And so, and if the president orders you to do something, then you have to do it. But what if you have an evil-ish president or, or, you know, just a more realistic portrayal of how government actually works? Sure. You still have a Superman. Maybe they're going to do some morally questionable things in the same way that a government would. Yeah, what if a Superman is involved in an Afghanistan or a a Vietnam or something? You know, it gets strange uh, pretty quick. So, uh it reinvents the whole thing and changes kind of the way the rules. You know, a lot of people would call uh, this book and have called this book The Birth of the Dark Age. The Dark Knight Returns. Yes. Yeah. Um, which I do not agree with that assessment. It it changed the rules that there was a lot of kind of bad charlatan imitators that came after. It's it's just like any of these things that are successful. People kind of sometimes glom onto the things they think make it successful Yeah. when in fact they don't. Don't, don't you think that that the effect is the same, though? Because it was so huge, yeah. and it was so popular, right. and everybody wanted to make comics like that yeah. anymore. I mean, so you you don't think that it was the, the beginning of a new age in comics? I do. Okay. I do, but I don't take it as a negative. 
You know, a lot of you, you, know, you oh, got you kind of you don't take the book as a negative, right? Because you got two camps. When I say the Dark Age, you know that was that was, it was dubbed the Dark Age because uh, you know you got two camps. People really love this book, yep, or people really dislike this book. Mm-hmm. It is fairly polarizing, even though it's you know one of the great Batman or you know called one of the greatest Batman stories of all time. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah. I don't think you have to your any individual like your your enjoyment or your not enjoyment of that book. You can't deny that. Comics were different after that. Absolutely. For a long time. Watershed. The reverberations of that, and comics were darker because I think people took the wrong messages away from Correct. it. Correct. And I, because like you said, the charlatans and the imitators who didn't understand or, or couldn't approach like the, the complexity of what's going sure. on in that book, they just went straight dark. It's not necessarily yeah. do this exact thing. This is, you know, um, you know, it's, we've had this talk on this podcast a million times. It's yeah. like, you know, the soundtrack to Guardians of the Galaxy isn't why that movie's cool. Yes. You know, so. There, you know, but um, you know that said, it absolutely changed the face of comics. And the Watchmen was right around the same time, just after. Also, uh, you could call a dark, yeah, comic or has been called dark. Um, so yeah, huge book. Everything was different after this. And and Batman, I think, is as big as he is now, and still has cartoons and movies and everything else. Uh, a lot of evidence suggests that this book has kept this character relevant and is hugely. Totally. Responsible for keeping him this relevant this long. So why do they fight in Dark Knight Returns? So eventually um, Superman comes and says, Batman, you got to quit doing what you're doing, buddy. Mm-hmm. you got to join the team. you got to get on the force. Yeah. Or you got to stop. Batman's not having it. And uh, they come to blows. It's great. Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, two opposing ideologies that just meet head on. And it's strange. This book for me, and I, you know, I read a lot about this, and you don't really realize it when you're reading it, the final battle isn't with a supervillain. You know, he goes through all these battles. You know, Joker shows up there, all this stuff. But the final climax of this book is Superman versus Batman. Mm-hmm. That's incredibly nuts for the time. Yeah. I mean, I think even now it's still pretty crazy, but that, that was wild to read when that was happening, you know? The final villain, the final boss fight for Batman in in this graphic novel is Superman. Absolutely, completely nuts. So, um, and he he wins though, which is awesome. Spoiler alert! Spoiler, Spoiler alert. alert! Batman wins. Yep. In in Dark Knight Returns. Correct. Came out in 1986, guys. I don't know what to tell you. It's a great book. Great book. Yeah. And the Dark Knight Returns goes a long way to influencing the new film, both in terms of like kind of the aesthetic. Definitely the aesthetic. A, a Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and specifically in the actual Batman versus Superman-iness of that movie. Besides the larger things that are going on, the fighting between those two characters. Although thematically, they're fighting for ma- very different very reasons, different reasons. In, Absolutely. In, in the movie yep. than in the book. Some would argue that in the movie that their fight is much more ham-fisted and stupid. Those people would be skeptics and view the world with shades of gray and black. And not, not really. No, it was fine. It was uh, yes. It is a little bit more hamfisted. <laughs> um, I, I did like the way that you know, uh, spoiler free zone. I like the way they took. I mean, some very exact. I mean, there's some one for one lifts from Dark Knight Returns. Yep. Oh, totally. Which are pretty dang uh, cool to see finally in a film. Yeah. Yep. You guys saw the movie. We did. You guys, what'd you think? I, I thought it was much better than the critics gave it credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that it had some very fun moments. There were some problems with the film, mm-hmm. um, plot-wise. Um, but overall, I thought uh, Ben Affleck as Batman was a was a great choice. I thought he, he kind of stole the show. Um, the the casting and the action of Wonder Woman was worth the ticket price alone. Wonder okay. Woman was perfect. 
I, so, I wanted so much more Wonder Woman. Me too. I can't. I don't want to say anything else. And we're gonna get it. Yeah. But Nick, you didn't. You did not like the movie as much as no, Curtis man. And I did. No. Uh, well, I'm gonna say before Nick, before you get in there, uh, I thought it was a glorious uh, stew. Mm-hmm. There was some stuff that I had huge problems with. Yep. It just, I you know, there's definitely moments in this movie where like I don't want that happening right now. Uh-huh. Um, there was some other stuff though that I loved. Yeah, yeah. Like, I super loved. I'm not gonna dig way into it. I wonder if we ever do like a spoiler episode of the podcast where yeah. like it's the entire episode where we'll just talk about a thing and we'll spoil it a lot. All and if of you it. listen to it, yeah, that'll be the title of it. And if you've seen it, then you can listen to it. And if not, just skip it. Because well, I have a lot of thoughts about this movie. And I reject the idea that it's about that critics like it. Critics hate it, but fans like it. Because I'm a huge fucking fan of yeah. Superman and Batman. I think and I thought that this movie was a disservice to both of those yeah, characters. Yeah, I think uh, well, it, I, I, but you guys respectfully feel differently disagree. About, and, yeah. that's to- and that's totally fine. Yeah. And I think we should be able to have the conversation yeah. about it without it being about criticism versus fans. Because I, I think that I think that's a too simplistic of a way to look at it. Well, I think the numbers kind of show that the critics were much harder than the fandom on this movie. Totally. If you look at the Rotten Tomatoes score for it, and I have a whole thing that we don't have time to get into at the moment, but um, you know, the critics gave Batman v Superman a 29%. Yeah. The fans gave it a 72%. That's a pretty big difference. Yeah. Bigger than most movies. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole on comparing this movie's critic score to other critics, and I'm not going to dive into it too much, but... To other films. But we can, to we can, other films. We can yeah. absolutely say that it is a better movie than Jersey Girl. Right. Jersey Girl, the other Ben Aff- another Ben Affleck movie, uh, has a 40% critic yeah, rating. that's laughable. Um, Armageddon... Uh, another Affleck film has a 39% rating. I would say this movie is better than both of those movies. I would agree with you. Mm, Armageddon. Armageddon's a shitty movie. It's a terrible movie. Yeah, it's real now, bad. But I also wanted to compare... Remember the oil rig at the <laughs> beginning? He's like, I remember everything about this It's movie. the fucking worst. It plays when I close my eyes. I just And I wanted to compare this to some other super. <laughs> but I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to go to sleep. God damn it. Stop it. He's doing Look, the Christmas song. Oh, God damn it. Um, Let me tell you this. Let me ask you this. Armageddon 2, though. Was that a real movie? No, but Armageddon. Can, can we get that? Um, it seems like we should be. But there. if I could just real quick, and, and I know we're running short on time, just to give it some context to other superhero movies, how harsh the critics were on this one. Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer was given a 37% by, by critics um, uh, compared to the 29 of Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. And that movie was hailed as a um, as a great improvement over its predecessor, the original Fantastic Four movie, which got a 27%, only 2% lower than Batman v Superman. Okay, so... Both of those movies are garbage. Well... So all of this is subjective. It is. And I, th- I submit to you that these rating systems and these aggregate systems and numbers are bullshit. I so would, what, I, how is a movie 2% better than anything? Right. It's, well, a, it's a nonsense thing. I, so you, you've read some of the criticism I of have. this movie at Much this point? It. Yep. And, if, and, and for all criticism, I just don't care about what critics think of movies. Agreed. But and I think it's interesting in the case of this because there's such a huge disparity. Yeah. It's yeah. totally worth talking yeah. about. I'm not yeah. saying that it's not. feels a little bit like a, a dog pile. It, well... Y- you know, a okay. little... A little 
uh, horse following the But the it depends on cart, how you, it depends how, you, how you go at it. I didn't read anything until I saw the movie, and then Me afterwards neither. I've been reading a lot of stuff. Me too. And I see a lot. I, it's, I, I agree with a lot of the complaints about this movie. And again, this is just a subjective thing. You can't put a fucking number on a movie you and can't. say that's what the movie is worth. That, you do, you that do, is a bullshit well, thing. You do start to wonder about clicks, though, in, in stuff like this in a digital world. Mm-hmm. I just wonder. Oh, you absolutely. Know, Some and of and, and you don't want to come out and say you like a movie if everybody else hates it because sure, then sure, you're sure. a dumb dumb. But there sure. has to you be know? some kind of way to assess a movie. So, like, is it how much money the movie makes? Is that a. Why does there have to be a way to assess the movie other than you saw it and you enjoyed it or not? And here's be- what I thought about it. Because that's not the way that our, our film industry works. It, the I'm way not talking about the film the industry. W- the movie's doing great. The movie's making money. Yeah, it's making money. There's no argument about that. That's true. But and, and that's cool. I think a lot of people are not going to see this movie. And just talking to people in the shop, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who are super hesitant to see this movie because of the early critic reaction that was overwhelmingly negative. And I think a lot of that criticism was was very harsh for a movie that had a lot... While it did have some faults, yeah. had some really great cinematic moments... Did justice to the character of Batman. There's no, I, I, I find it hard to make the argument that Ben Affleck does not play a great Batman. Um, See, I would, fi- I would make an argument. Against so, and that. I, and I would too. As much as I love this movie, and there's some great Bat stuff, yeah, in this movie. And I don't want to say, you know, spoiler free zone here, but I would have liked. Well, it's you know, I would like some more dimension uh, to 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 Affleck's Bat. Absolutely, he's a little gruff. He's very gruff. So um, the, the the whole the point that I want to make. Is that this is actually a really good argument for why who could because even in spite of all that you're saying you're you've heard you know anecdotally of, of folks not wanting to go see the movie because of the critic reception yeah but that's not stopping a shitload of people from going to True. this movie it's and, currently and, sitting at half a billion dollars as of Monday absolutely worldwide and that's really how it should work you go yeah. see a movie and the criticism can inform what you take away from it or potentially not. or not yep. but we do have this like. And I do this with video games all the time. That we have this like weird obsession with these aggregate numbers. Yeah. And they I, I just think they're fucking worthless. And I think they are harmful to pieces of art and we shouldn't put numbers and scores on pieces of art. I agree. This is not an original thought that I'm having, I'm just saying. If someone asks you, should I go see Batman v Superman, what do you say? I say I, I would say absolutely see it if you can see it for free. Okay. Curtis? I, I would say if you're a fan of uh blockbustery type movies or superheroes. One hundred percent, absolutely. If you're a fan of superheroes, absolutely, then totally. And if you movie. like either of these characters at all, yeah. I mean, even for the stuff I think, you know, they get a lot right. I think they get some stuff wrong. I'm gonna go see it again tonight. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, I I recommend it highly. Go watch it if this is even remotely in your wheelhouse. Totally. And I thought it was just wretched. Just so bad. Now there wasn't but I any. I love you guys. There wasn't any kind of moments where just like on a like a kind of a visual or a nerd. When I come kind back, of moment. When I, come, I mean, I love seeing Superman in a suit at any point, right? And I, th- it was not enough to get me through it. Okay. Really? Well, I, I love the Wonder Woman stuff. Was just right. So good. Man, this, yeah. Th- yeah. It was not. It was fucking two and a half hours. This movie. That's so? true. Yeah. What's, what's wrong with that? We're completely out of time. Speaking of of long experiences, yeah, we're totally out of time. Um, always a pleasure. We, we should say though, really quick though, it's the biggest um, opening for a superhero movie ever. Is it really ever in the in worldwide box office the largest superhero movie ever? Well, first as a, weekend as a comic shop capitalist, I love this movie. That's so great. 
maybe <laughs> maybe we do do a spoiler. I would I would Nick, I would very much like to get into this with you in a in to. a spoiler way. So maybe we book some time. Maybe we yeah. do do and do like a little twenty minute hash out about it Absolutely. because I think. Uh, I would very much like to talk to you about it in a way that the listeners could hear um, totally. with spoilers. So I also think it's important that people can disagree about movies. Totally. And, or and, comics and, or And, and have discussions about movies and uh-huh. learn more about this stuff because I'm sure that there's some of the stuff that you love would make me think, oh, that's really interesting yeah. I, and, and make me think about it in a different way. And at the end of the day, it's there. Uh, you know, there is no yes or no. That's right. what I'm saying. Right. There, is, there not, is no yes or no. Yeah, I like tomatoes. I don't like tomatoes. Exactly. End of conversation. Speaking of rotten tomatoes. Yes. Our producer and editor is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. All of our art and design was created by Philip Wong. Special thanks to the Ann Arbor District Library for use of their recording studio. Please subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull Show on iTunes if you would. We need you. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and our website. Super Skull Show is how you find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm Succotash Schwimmer. And I'm Porkchop Sullivan. And we wish you good reading. Until next week. What's my, what was my nickname? Sweetie Sullivan. Oh, excuse me. Call me Sweetie. Sweetie. Honey. Anyway. Farm living is the life for me. What is it? Land spreading out so far and wide. Keep Manhattan's. Give me that countryside. Was there a pig on that show? Oh, you know there was a pig on that show. But did the pig have a name? Yeah. Fuck. Shit balls. It didn't talk or anything. No, it wasn't a talking pig. Um... And God. they did not have a talking horse. Different That's show Mr. called Ed. Mr. Ed. Ed. Thank no. you. Speaking of pigs, I am sweating like a Georgia swine in here. <laughs> is that? Yeah. Is the that? Wh- what do you got, Rachel? <laughs> Pig on Green Acres. Name was Arnold. <laughs> Arnold. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Arnold Zavell. Uh, Zavell. Zavell. We're, <laughs> we're just letting this timer go right now. Here's the thing about Arnold. He had a last name. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? This Good pig, pig has a first name, last name. I get allergic smelling hay. <laughs> John, I love you, but give me punk. I think I know every fucking word to that whole. I mean, it's pretty infectious. Yeah, Yeah, it's a great fucking theme song.